This episode is brought to you by Dragon Ball Legends, the mobile fighting game based on the Dragon Ball series. Featuring high-quality 3D graphics and authentic voice acting, the game follows Shallot, an original character, and his adventures with Goku and others. With intuitive controls and simple card-based gameplay, unleash combos and powerful team-based attacks. Battle players around the world in friendly matches, compete in the rankings, or team up in co-op. And now Dragon Ball Legends 5th anniversary is on. Download Dragon Ball Legends today. Welcome back to Humans of Purpose, the weekly podcast featuring conversations with local purpose-driven leaders. Leaders creating social impact through their work and fostering in a new era of social progress. We want you to listen, connect and grow with us. Learn more at humansofpurpose.com. I think there's a really great model called the Lencioni model, which talks about um, the five dysfunctions of team. And at its foundation, it talks about the ability to create trust or build trust and that if you can't do that and can't foster and curate and incubate, maintain deep trust, then there is a likelihood that there will be a high level of artificial harmony in your team. Welcome back to Humans of Purpose. We are proudly sponsored by Neon Treehouse, the best digital agency on the planet Earth. To learn more, just head to neontreehouse.com or hit the link in our show notes. If you're a LinkedIn user, I welcome you to connect with me by searching for Mike Davis and also following Humans of Purpose to get fast access to all of our latest episodes and updates. Our guest on the pod today is Catherine Boychik, aka KB. KB is a futurist, technologist, and an imagineer and executive leader at Maximus International. Maximus are an innovative business consultancy offering unique solutions to maximize people and organizational potential and specialize in three main areas, leadership development, organizational design, and assessment. KB is CTO and director at Maximus, focusing on supporting leaders to adapt and grow through embracing disruption, experimentation with new technology, and ensuring new ways of leading are embedded in daily practice. Following our conversation, I learned that KB is also an avid sneakerhead, of which there are many at Maximus, and that she has by far the best sneaker collection at the company, possibly even eclipsing that of old mate Alon Casuto. KB provides us with a refreshing set of perspectives on how we interface with technology, the future we are imagining, and creating, and what our current and future challenges will be as humans in an increasingly complex digital world. We also talk about leadership, common challenges, building great cultures, and progress in the age of the pandemic and regular lockdowns. I hope you enjoy my conversation with KB as much as I did. So finally glad we could make this happen. KB, welcome to the podcast. Thanks for having me, Mike. Not even an earthquake can stop us this time. (laughs) What a day we've had in Melbourne. Really unbelievable. If you didn't think the riots, the lockdown, the protests and everything else were enough, natural disaster was next on the agenda, I feel. Yes. And, you know, let's let's finish the week with a grand final. Why not? (laughs) Yeah, exactly. It's a week that's got everything. I want to start by hearing a little bit about your journey and how you got into leadership consulting. Then I have a million questions about leadership consulting and Maximus, uh, but I have a whole range of things I want to talk to you about. So um, maybe let's just start with your journey a little bit and then we can jump into some uh, different avenues. Sure. Um, I grew up in Geelong, so I'm one of two daughters, so identical twin, in fact, Um, and... uh, Dad was an army sergeant and a council 
road worker. Mum was a teacher uh, and then executive assistant and then, you know, was a co-founder in a technology um, digital media magazine in in the kind of media.com boom of the 90s. And, um, and as a result, our family was separated quite a lot. You know, Dad a bit pucker, Mum would be in Taiwan and... Um, I became very comfortable with being an unaccompanied minor on aeroplanes. <laughs> and as a result of that kind of family life dynamic, found myself being an early adopter of technology. So I've wasted a disproportionate amount of my life listening to dial-up Internet Connect. I don't I think just... that's a waste of time at all, by the way. I think that's like <laughs> a, a perfectly good use of time. <laughs> so maybe we'll align on that. So true, but I I think that, you know, our family philosophy was there was no such place as far away and that technology was a way to keep us connected as a family unit despite the physical distance. And um, and so when it came that time to think of life post-school, I did what every other person at that, you know, in the late 1990s did, which was apply for the jobs that were in the Saturday paper and the second job I applied for was one at Telstra, which I ended up getting. So... That kind of led me into Telstra, uh, which led me to a 20-year career in technology. Uh, and then leaving Telstra, I decided to really narrow again in on leadership, still keep the tech side of things going along, running the technology where I am. But um, it, it, to me, it was time to uh, really understand the thinking and the science behind what makes a fantastic leader and how do they cut through and I just wanted to spend time with really talented leaders learning as much as I could. I think um, two things you've raised there. I mean, technology for me is just sort of, I mean, I've been obsessed with technology since I was a kid and I think I got that from my dad. So I can really relate to some of the things you were saying about needing to be an early adopter with things, spending countless hours on different platforms and tools and researching the latest things to come out and whatnot. I'm curious, what got you interested about leadership? Because it sort of can be seen as like a fairly nebulous, hard to define concept that's sort of in, in flux much of the time. What sort of took your fancy and what drove you to want to explore that more? First, because selfishly, I really enjoyed working with others and getting a group of people that, you know, seemingly uh, ordinary from the outside, but pulled together into a collective effort could achieve extraordinary things and that becomes addictive um, when you can pull together uh, teams of people to, to achieve breakthroughs that haven't been done before. And, and so that was where I, but I also then secretly, I think I was always a leader. Like uh, with the parents that I had, I, I showed up as a leader. I was uh, comfortable in owning my point of view. I was comfortable to step in when I saw that things weren't going well. And so I think leadership came quite easily to me in the in a work context. Um, you know, I was a netball umpire at the age of 14, you know, bossing adults around on the netball court with a whistle. I was really quite comfortable at an early age in taking out some authority. And I think that um, where the fascination became or the frustration for me came when I, there was about a decade where I felt like I was stuck in the belly of the organisation, like middle management, and it was really painful I felt like I was in when we talk about the glass ceiling I, mm. I I talk about the glass labyrinth uh, that is middle management and particularly in in sectors like technology and finance and and that's what it was definitely like in the early 2000s so we were trying 
I was trying to work out how do I increase and amplify my impact, but I couldn't find a way through for a, a, like a long period of time. That's really interesting. And and for you, um, I mean, so you've explained a bit about your fascination with leadership consulting or getting into the space of leadership. I think a lot of listeners would might like to know what a leadership consultant does because I, I kind of have another question about whether you can teach people to be better leaders. I think we we operate at Maximus on the belief that if it's in you, we'll find it. So I think that everyone has the potential to be a leader, but I also think that not everyone wants to answer that calling and it's only in certain or exceptional circumstances that they do. So someone might take an individual contributor role up inside an organisation, but they're, you know, the president of the school council or they're a coach at their, their children's you know, cricket team on the weekend. So I think leadership comes in many forms. Um, what I like about leadership consulting, pure leadership consulting, is we bring together the best of commercial leadership, the best of psychology and the best of technology into one conversation about leadership capability. And there's kind of a spectrum. So everything from deep purpose work, individual um, development through to kind of cohorts of talent and kind of accelerating them to be ready for the next challenge um, through to all forms of skill build. I think particularly over the last 18 months or so, we've seen rapid demand for, you know, emergent um, themes around capabilities that, you know, potentially were underdone pre-pandemic. So things like hybrid leadership, um, being able to lead um, performance structure virtually, all of those sorts of things are in some sectors have been common for more than a decade, but for other sectors, you know, banks, for instance, you know, had 30,000, 40,000 employees that largely resided in a large network of buildings that suddenly have been dispersed into people's homes. It's a very different style of leadership required when you don't have that face-to-face interaction. So um, we've done, do a lot of that kind of short, sharp, uh, capability build and then we go to the strategic side so um, what I love in in my role as a futurist is that we take teams you know virtually all around the world uh, to test their strategic choices and to help them look forward outside of horizon one into horizon two and horizon three and say what are the things we need to be thinking about in two years time in five years time in ten years time and how does that link to the purpose that we have as an organization and how can we pull the future forward for our organization love it it's a great great approach and you describe yourself on your linkedin profile not that i'm much of a stalker but i am a little bit um, as a technologist futurist imagineer and executive and i just thought that that was such a great way to present yourself and it just makes me wonder a little bit what is the kind of future um, you're anticipating and where are we heading in terms of how we're going to use technology to to um to to be better. This could be a very long episode if you get on this topic. <laughs> but <laughs> I, I, I think two things. I, I think the style of leadership is changing. So th- there has been an acceleration in that that transition away from 20th century leadership, which was born out of an industrial revolution that was really about productivity and um actually building 
huge hierarchical scaled organisations and enterprises and there hasn't been a lot of upgrading or updating to leadership capability over a significant period of time. And then if you think about where we're at today, organisations are much more likely to have a combination of economic goals and social impact goals as their overarching purpose and it requires a different level of mindset requires you know a founder's mindset it requires you to think with an abundant mindset not a scarcity mindset uh, it, it requires you to democratize leadership and have more collective momentum with people that are closest to your customers are also creating value and are leading the organization versus the traditional hierarchical structure so I think we've seen that definitely accelerate and I think we're seeing a much more empathetic, human-centred style of leadership with mm. that has a high degree of care and a high degree of challenge. Yeah. Um, yeah. If I think about technology, um, Bob Johansson from the Institute of the Future um, in his 2017 prediction um, said of the next decade it will be the most twisted bitter and twisted um, of, of our careers and that as a result of that accelerated change that most leaders will find themselves leading from the edge of their competence. And I think we've only just seen the beginning of that. I think if anything, you know, 2027 has probably been pulled forward to about 2023, 24, but um, I think there's been so much progress made in such a short time that we're getting a hang of this idea of the hyper-connected world mm. and that we could click a button on our fridge or our iPad or our phone and groceries appear and uh, or medications appear. Um, a doctor shows up on a screen, you know, and suddenly what was a physical doctor's appointment, a physical chemist visit and a, a physical, um, you know, transit home is one seamless experience from a health perspective. And so I, I think we're seeing value chains really collapse um, and we're starting to see the rise of ecosystems, which is really interesting to watch. I think we're seeing the rise of non-human actors in organisations. I think there's a cyber attack every eight seconds that results in monetary damage in Australia, um, I, which is a startling fact. I also think we are becoming more comfortable in having uh, what I call cobots in our life, you know. During this pandemic, one of my favourite purchases has been a Cordy, which is essentially a fancy Roomba that vacuums but also sweeps and mops my floors. And I regret <laughs> not making that purchase last year, <laughs> waiting until this year. And so we, should, we should definitely, like, have a section on our favourite tech purchases. I feel like that would be valuable. You've gone first, so I'll just say that mine is I got a Peloton, which has been fantastic. Um, I love it. it. It's just it's the most integrated, fun experience because um, I, I signed up to go to classes to exercise. I'm one of these people who can't exercise without other people working hard around me. Um, so getting the Peloton has been a game changer because you can still do that at home. 
This episode is brought to you by Dragon Ball Legends, the mobile fighting game based on the Dragon Ball series. Featuring high-quality 3D graphics and authentic voice acting, the game follows Shallot, an original character, and his adventures with Goku and others. With intuitive controls and simple card-based gameplay, unleash combos and powerful team-based attacks. Battle players around the world in friendly matches, compete in the rankings, or team up in co-op. And now Dragon Ball Legends 5th Anniversary is on. Download Dragon Ball Legends today. Isn't that interesting how that whole gym experience has become virtualized and gone from being even just a you can consume digital content to it being there's a live option as well that oh. you can participate with others and have community through a piece of gym equipment. I, KB, think I find that fascinating. It's insane. It's just next level. Uh, the whole experience of getting the bike to engaging with the community and like people high-fiving you and, you know, calling you out on well done on five rides and things like that. And it's just bizarre. Um, it's one of those innovations where it's shown you something that you didn't know you wanted until it's there, which are, I think are the best kind of innovations. Um, I agree. I agree. I I also bought a, a, not a Peloton, but a Nordic track treadmill. Oh, nice. And um, mainly because I wanted the screen and I wanted to walk Machu Picchu and I don't think I'm going to do that in any physical sense in, in real life or as my daughter says, IRL. Um, so it's the next best thing following <laughs> a bunch of people virtually around some amazing places. And it's great for your brain to physically think that it is going on an expedition, even though you're actually walking on a spot inside your home 230 plus days into, into your lockdown. So I think that um, more and more we're going to see the adoption and emergence of things like virtual reality and augmented reality, but the amount of shopping that's been done, I'm sure, in Ikea and Kmart since their augmented reality uh, online shopping experience launch, I suspect has tripled, if not quadrupled. Um, I also think that we're starting to see virtual reality being used in things like mental health, in aged care, uh, to really help lift people. I know myself, it was another purchase I made during the lockdown last year was my Oculus Quest headset and the amount of joy you can have from your couch, whether you're scuba diving in the Philippines or going on a virtual roller coaster. Um, Do you love it? Is it amazing? It is. It is amazing, but (laughs) a word of warning, like you think you're doing it for 20 minutes and then four hours later (laughs) you're still... (laughs) You're still going and then you take the VR goggles off and you have this lovely line <laughs> around your face. So um, virtual reality, I think, is barely beginning mm. and I think there is going to be continued progress made in the health sector. I think we're already seeing it in the building sectors um, and I'm really excited about to see where that goes. It's a very exciting time. Um, speaking a bit about new styles of leadership that are kind of fit for the environment that we're in now with so much uncertainty, so much change, so much flux, um, I saw that you put out a pretty interesting uh, white paper and blog about democratising leadership and just sort of making the case that, you know, you don't have to be a senior executive to be a leader, the, the decoupling of uh, leadership and authority specifically. I wonder if you could just speak to that and sort of how you're seeing things play out in this, in this new environment. I think there's a really great model called the Lencioni model, which talks about um, the five dysfunctions of team. And at its foundation, it talks about 
the ability to create trust or build trust and that if you can't do that and can't foster and curate and incubate, maintain deep trust, then there is a likelihood that there will be a high level of artificial harmony in your team. And when you you don't have the physical interaction that we have previously had at our disposal, how do you as a leader build and foster trust in a virtual environment and the reality is is that the way you there the way you build trust is through creating reciprocal vulnerability so in order to create reciprocal vulnerability it requires you to have even greater investment one-on-one with your people so you have to triple or quadruple the amount of one-on-one conversations you're having in a virtual environment versus a face-to-face environment to compensate for the lack of physical interaction so that you can create the conditions for people to tell you genuinely how they are. Mm. Um, And that's the only way you can create reciprocal vulnerability and then give yourself an opportunity to have a high-performing team that is, you know, can argue and have creative abrasion and say, hey, I know this is my gig, but I'm not up for it at this moment in time. Can someone step in and, and take it from here? The quality of those conversations come based on a leader's ability to create a safe environment Mm. and an environment where there is deep trust and connection that's being built. And I think that that has definitely changed in this. So I think there's there was one of two ways leaders could go in this hybrid way of working. You could have a very low touch, communicate through email and continue to run this the same meeting structure that you were running pre pandemic or you could completely switch up the way that you lead your teams and set up those rituals to have a much deeper connection and there are some leaders I work with that say you know I have had more connection with my team members during the last 18 months than I've had in the last five years because of the quality of conversations you can have with people and the access the increased access that you have and that stems from democratizing Uh, the experience and I think a lot of people learned really quickly a lot of organizations in particular learned that I am going to increase the level of trust and delegate far more so that decisions can be made quickly in a hybrid way of working and I think that that's going to remain true even when we return to a greater level of face-to-face environment I still think we'll still have a high level of working from home in just business as usual Mm. however I think that the increased levels of trust and the increased levels of delegation and democratized decision making will continue so do you think that um, leaders who have an ability to build trust in relationships even in this remote environment will be sort of at a premium yes because people will leave uh, I think we're already starting to see the data on that in terms of what you know what's been called the great resignation. Mm. Um, people are leaving in terms of the top reasons that they're leaving organisations now in Australia. 67% say it's because of burnout. Burnout doesn't occur. Burnout is a euphemism for I don't feel valued, I feel overworked, I don't feel understood, I don't feel seen. Yeah, 67% of people are using that term burnout, um, which to me is a real lack of leadership. 
And and it tells me that um, the part of leadership that's being neglected is that part about creating a safe environment that's caring as well. So that ability to go first and ask the questions like, how actually are you going? But you need to get to a certain level of trust before you can ask that and get an honest answer. Yeah, we talk to, I talk to leaders about what's the next question you ask, are you? How are you going? Mm. Um, you know, we, there's a simple technique that we use with teams, you know, what was the peak of, what was the peak of your week? What was the pit of your week? And what is the thing that you need to pivot next week? Pivot got ruined as a word over the last year, so I know that people will respond to that. <laughs> Just have the friends' reaction to it's the It's like the pivot. collaboration of a few years ago. Yeah, you? exactly, and the transformation <laughs> as well. <laughs> I know that there are buzzwords, but if you can actually normalise your team contributing their high highs and their low lows and it's just a normal part of the conversation that you had, you're creating the conditions for people to actually express that things aren't going okay. And you, in turn, also give your updates so that people can see that you also had high highs and low lows so and you're sounds, role modelling that safety. Sounds like it's a bit like um, to, to draw on a, um, a very old school government word, authorising environment. So creating that sort of safe space to be honest about how you're feeling and therefore open up the spaces for other people in the team to also share how they're feeling. Yeah. And, it's, and you would be surprised at how simple, like that's such a simple technique, mm. but I couldn't tell you how many leaders that I speak to or how many employees I speak to that I'd say, when was the last time someone genuinely checked in with you? And it's been months. Yeah, people don't do that well at all. Um, KB, something you said before about people using burnout as like the prime reason why they're, they're leaving jobs. I mean, to me, it sound, it seems like um, the line between work and home and private life is just completely amorphous now or blurred. Um, you know, th- there's not much separation. If we're working from home, we're living from home, we're doing everything from home. Um, you know, it's it's it feels like in the absence of being able to do anything else and in lockdown, people are just doing more work and are choosing to work more uh, a lot of the time. And how do you kind of see that playing out over the long term? Like how do we restore some kind of stabilisation around what is work time and what is family time or, or private time? I think that um, the, the challenge is that people look at time uh, with how they're managing their workload or their week or their diary. And I'm yet to meet anyone and, and I've worked with, you know, thousands of leaders over the last 18 months. I've yet to meet one that's been able to create a 25-hour day. So this focus and fascination about diary time is a misstep. I think it's it's the biggest misstep people are making today, whether you're a leader or an individual contributor. If you are working from home, stop focusing on where you're spending your time and start focusing on where are you getting your energy from. Mm. Because the most successful people that I have had the pleasure to work with in my entire career did things like getting up at 5am, having a good workout, um, spending time meditating, spending time free writing or journaling and would break their day up into a couple of hours sprint 
and then another energy recharge, then another couple of hours sprint, then another energy recharge. And I'm talking CEOs of very large ASX 100 companies here. So this concept that I wake up, make myself, walk into the kitchen, make myself a cup of coffee, walk into the office, sit down and then don't move for eight to 10 hours in this working from home environment is not an operating model that's going to be successful for the majority of people. We are, we are biologically designed to move. We are biologically designed to look at the horizon multiple times a day so that we can see if the sun has risen, if it's the middle peak middle of the day, if we need to continue to drink water, if we need to go to sleep. And we're not doing those natural things that we're biologically designed to do to recharge. So I focus with people on energy management. And then over the top of that overlay, how are you spending your time? So I think that that's, that's a big gap for people. And the other thing I would say is we've lost our commutes. So you have to create an artificial, we call it the, uh, the third space. Mm. How do you artificially create a third space in the morning and a third space in the evening? Mm. Yeah, I think for me, um, a lot of the energy stuff has to come also with motivation and goal setting. So what is going to be my my real kind of ape brain reward for doing said work <laughs> over a period of time. So, you know, the first thing I do, I get up, go for a long walk, try and get a bit of sun and whatnot, maybe grab a coffee on the way back, got my dog with me. Um, and then I know I'm going to take a force break at about 10.15 or 10.30 to have another coffee and just go out and be around people a little bit. Um, then at lunchtime, trying to oh, – I always look forward to lunch. That's just a me thing. But, uh, you know, in the pandemic, it's one of the one of the things to really look forward to, lunch. And then, um, you know, you're sort of just looking for what are the little breaks every couple of hours that you can take that are going to refuel you. And what are the habits and little techniques you use to nudge you? You know, I use my Garmin to yeah. nudge me every hour. I've deliberately set that alert up because I know I can become hyper-focused on a task and four hours later, I'm still doing that task. So you can use technology now to nudge you as well. Absolutely. Just shifting a little bit, um, look, you know, the state of politics in Australia, uh, <laughs> it's a big topic, but I just wondered what you, what type of leadership do you think we're seeing generally and is there specific types of leadership that you're seeing that you're impressed with or what do you think we're, we're missing in terms of um, where political leaders are at, particularly in a time of crisis like now? It's interesting. I think in a, in a crisis, someone really wise once said, in a crisis, look for the people that are helping. And that's to me, is a great frame or lens to use when you're looking at you know, political leadership in Australia, but also around the world. I think um, there are a few things that, that stand out to me. One is that our political leaders don't reflect the community that is Australia. So it's not an accurate representation, representation of who we are as a multicultural society and there's a real lack of diversity. And I think that there are political parties that are trying to make meaningful progress and I think that there are political parties that have no intention of making meaningful progress in that arena and I think that that's clear. I think that from a, a followership perspective, we're starting to see 
the collision of narrative and leadership really collide. I think that I have been involved in more strategic narrative conversations with leaders than I've ever been over the last year, year and a half. And that's because we've been seeing a masterclass of some leaders doing a really good job of, you know, it brings back the Winston Churchill style of um, stabilising nature of having a really clear orator, um, a really clear, concise message repeated multiple times. And we're seeing other leaders not demonstrate that they don't have that ability and that causes confusion, it causes a lack of followership. And the consequences in a pandemic is that, you know, people get sick and lose their lives. So I think we've seen some really great examples where it's been done well and I think we've seen seen some really terrible examples. And I, uh, my hope is that we continue to see an acceleration of leadership away from the traditional patriarchal power bases that have existed for the last 100 years and we start to see a far more progressive, inclusive and diverse set of political leaders to choose from. Yeah, great. I don't think we have our nation's brightest minds leading our country. Yeah, I'd agree. I completely agree with you there. And I... um, I think as well, I mean, some of the messaging has just been very fear-based and not very hope-oriented. So I, I think one of the challenges for me in terms of evaluating leadership is I'm seeing a lot of stick but not a lot of carrot and I'm not seeing the kind of the the um, the pot of the pot of gold at the end of the rainbow per se. That's because when we're in struggle, we look for the white light at the end of the tunnel. And I think the challenging thing is that we have we are living through what will be the thing that defines our lifetime for those of us that are living during this particular experience. Um, and I, I think that we've we have had an unrealistic expectation of leaders initially at the beginning of the pandemic. Give me certainty. Give me clarity because I am fearful. Uh, And we know that the antidote to fear and uncertainty is to create clarity and to take unknowns from people and questions from people and turn them into knowns. And I think you've seen some political leaders that have stood there until there's no more questions because that strategy has been collecting unknowns and turning them into knowns so that there is you're exhausting and reducing the levels of of uncertainty and a lack of clarity in the community. Um, If I think about what that then means is that people want a beyond hope. So this this is no longer a hope game anymore. It's do I believe. So people have shifted from I hope this works, I hope this strategy is there, Uh, I know I need to stay the course and kind of rolling through the roller coaster that is this experience that we're all going through. And now when they're asked to do the next lot of tasks, which is usually going without some pretty significant things in people's lives, people are having a, spending a lot, a lot more longer time in bargaining and exploring uh, and actually going, do I really need to do this or do I not need to do this? Do I believe it's necessary? So you're watching the level of strategic narrative and the focus on narrative really increase and there are some people that are having 
a imagine if, imagine when. And you're seeing some really wonderful advertising campaigns. I think Qantas has a fantastic campaign out. There's a brilliant one. Um, I think it's Extra or Wrigley's Chewing Gum. I don't know if you've seen that that commercial. I highly recommend you Google it if you're listening to this podcast. It's a glorious representation of us all emerging um, from our cave-like experience into the into you know physically meeting with the people we care about again. And that imagine when and imagine if um, is a much more energizing story than one that is about fear oh, and yeah. that and that the fear is um, don't do what actually is being asked of you because it's just going to keep happening and you and that fear and uncertainty is gaining I think more than what we would all be comfortable with um, in terms of people's I think people are being swayed towards that um, type of narrative, but I also think that's unsurprising with a federal election not that far off in the distant future. Well, well said. Um, you talked in the AFR recently about fundamental leadership capabilities and the mindset that's required to transform uh, an organisation. When you're thinking about a leader or you're trying to evaluate a leader or sort of say, how good a leader is this leader? What are the types of things that you're thinking about in terms of um, capabilities and mindset? I look for someone that has a deep understanding of who they are, both their strengths, their weaknesses, their purpose, what they're there to do. I look at their ability to communicate and and role model the level of invulnerability required to build a high-performing team. I look at their level of, I call it, how digitally native are they? Because if you can't understand that things need to be modularized and that you're going to have a hyper-connected world and most people will have 15 to 20 personal devices talking to them within the next couple of years, um, it is going to be a really challenging set of choices from an investment perspective, like are you going to make the right choices that pull your organisation forward or not? So I look at their understanding of technology because I think all executive roles within the next decade, well, all of them will be leading a form of technology for the organisation. It's no longer the role of the CTO. Mm. I look for their ability to curate and partner an ecosystem. So I think that the boundaries of organisations are going to continue to be blurred and you're going to see more and more partnerships and ecosystem um, partnership agreements emerge, particularly as you, you know, we're talking about the collapsing of the value chain and leaders that are trusted and have a great ability to network are going to be successful in that type of environment. So on that note, sort of the combining of leadership and technology or harnessing technology, how has COVID affected the way you work at Maximus with clients? Um, and just take us through some of the best innovations that you're doing technolo- technologically. And then also, what are you seeing at client level? Like, what are some of the things that have blown you away that your clients are doing using technology in this strange time? I think that we're all used to team Zoom, so I'm just going to just leave all of that. Yep. Um, Fair. Is that if that's okay? I'll just assume that everyone's doing. Yep. Assume that everyone's doing that. I think. <laughs> I think the most. Prog- I know for us, we have 
matured significantly the amount of work that's done asynchronously because synchronous life in a hybrid world is exhausting. And so we've removed a lot of the live nature of meetings and transitioned to uh, asynchronous ways of working, which has just been a game-changing from a capacity perspective. So how can you do more with less and not create additional time in the day but give people energy, change your ways of working? I think that we are masters of that and I think that that's why we get engaged to do that type of habits, work with leaders so that they can lift performance, give people capacity, give people energy and actually still have the same ingredients and inputs going in. They're just configuring them differently. There's nothing like seeing a flying uh, autonomous car in Israel live to help you make a choice about whether or not you build a vertiport or a physical runway. And I think that had I not seen it myself, I would not believe that we are at Jetson's level of autonomous flying vehicles in the world. Um, but watching a vehicle that it had done, you know, its 400th unmanned flight, um, I think we are leading the Australian market in giving leaders exposure to mind-blowing experiences from their home. The best examples I've seen around the world, I'm quite in awe of Mattel, if I'm honest with you. Uh, I think they worked out quite quickly that toy production in a physical um, sense was never going to be the same again in a COVID world and watching them build or rebuild the product production offices in spatial which is a virtual reality app and then send everyone virtual reality headsets and have them they join their stand-ups in virtual reality and do their product design in virtual reality and actually do their toy testing that way uh, as opposed to sending out 600 versions of the next prototype mm. it just wasn't a viable option for them to continue production so Seeing people do extraordinary things like that, I think that that has pulled particularly real estate and sandbox purchasing by organisations like enterprises buying their building and space in virtual reality, I think has accelerated probably 10 to 15 years earlier than expected because organisations have found a really clever way to use technology to continue to um progress new ideas and new products to market, but just in a different way. KB, how do you build a really good culture when you're not in the same place? Um, people working from home, leaders not being near them a lot of the time, only Zoom or phone call interaction. Um, I, th I see there has been major cultural challenges to building like a strong, cohesive um, and, and, you know, productive culture what do you think some of the special source might be there we believe that culture is a living organism and maximus that's the way we think about it so it's only kind of a, it's only as good as your last week and the week before that and the week before that and you build it in increments but it also dies off or gets ill in increments so if you don't maintain it's like if you don't water it if you don't feed it it's going it's going to not be healthy and so we lead by example in terms of how we think about cultivating culture and we make regular deposits in a variety of different ways so that we ensure we cover everyone 
So, for example, we have 6 a.m. jazzercise. Um, some people love 6 30 a.m. jazzercise. It seems to be very, very popular with people that are single, living alone, having a social way of interacting uh, with people. We have a Friday night. We just had Friday night drag bingo um, for a, a fun way to play together. I think teams that play together have a much more likelihood of maintaining through the rough spots because when you play games, there are winners and there are losers and there are mistakes and it, all, that gets normalised. So the level of game playing uh, is important. And then the other thing I think is incredibly important is the amount of democratising you give to your strategy being built. So are you building your strategy top down? Or are you building a strategy bottom up and the iterations of those strategies and the frequency of that conversation right now, the future is on everyone's minds, whether it be can you attend your brother's wedding or when is the next time you can cross an item off your bucket list that was travelling to Japan uh, or what is the future of currency and should I be looking at cryptocurrency or, you know, investing in the stock market? All of those things are people spending time thinking in the future and spending time in the future is far more energising than prosecuting what you're trying to understand about today and it's far more energising than talking about stuff that's already happened or what we call hindsight. You're not going, you, do, you rarely get energy from hindsight it's usually someone brings up hindsight to prove a point or to keep something the same. So if you go, there's a spectrum of hindsight, insight and foresight. We know that cultures that have future-focused leaders that are helping people stay in foresight and have a really healthy proportion of their time spent on foresight, that the underlying culture is much more likely to be healthy and maintained over a longer period of time because it's less dopamine hits required, less muffins being delivered. It's Friday night. Like, who wants to do another Friday night Zoom drinks? No one. No one wants that. Depends whether there's muffins, KB. That's that's the real answer. <laughs> if there's muffins, anything is achievable. Um, so, I think that I had one last question for you, um, and and this is courtesy of your wonderful colleague Alan Casuto. Um, how do you lead epic talent? Is part one, and the, the part that I've added on, which, which I thought was really interesting, was. How do you lead non-epic talent or a team with significant capability or leadership limitations? Is that something you can do? Is that something you struggle with? Is it something that's easier in a way because there's a lot of um, gains to be made? Trust Alon to give me an alley question. Um, the way I think about epic leadership is an individual's ability to understand what are the ingredients you need in your week to live the best version of your life if that was your last week? So energy management, you know, E is for energy management, P is for preparation, I is for imagination, and C is collaboration and co-creation. And so I look at an individual and I say, and I work with them irrespective of whether they're a high-performing individual or they're someone that's not performing at their best, if I work through what are they doing with their energy, what are they doing 
in terms of their preparation so that they show up as the best version of themselves on the things that matter? What are they doing in terms of imagination? So if you're not being creative, you're being done to. And there are two types of leaders. There are reactive leaders and there are creative leaders. And don't get me wrong, we need reactive leaders. Like everyone wants to have a fireman answer the triple zero call. Um, but at the same, and everyone wants to have a reactive accountant. Like everyone wants to have an accountant that follows the rules and gets things done within a system. But at the same time, um, we also need those creative roles in, in society. And leadership fundamentally is a creative role. You are creating a vision that doesn't exist, you're building a strategic narrative and then a plan to actually bring it to life. So it's a creative endeavour. Yet when I ask people, when was the last time you drew something or painted something or wrote something down, it's for a lot of people, it's been years since they were that creative. So bringing creativity back is really important for renewal and working that muscle because we are all all of us could draw the red flower and a green stem that when we were asked to do that assignment in grade prep and somewhere along the line we stopped the creating. So I think that bringing that back um, helps make, like balance out the reactivity of life to, to creating a life that you want and creating a job that you love and creating a week that you really enjoyed and feel good about. And then I think collaboration is how we lift each other. And so quite often I find that people who are really successful are very effective collaborators and people that may not be doing well are struggling with their ability to connect with others. And so there are a number of techniques that you can do to help people become more comfortable and open um, up the way where they spend their time and who they spend it with so that they start to have that perform performance network around them that supports them, that they can you know, ask stupid questions too. And they're much more likely to be successful if they've got a healthy collaborative network going. It's so well said, KB. It's been an amazing conversation with you and there's so much that we've covered today. <laughs> How can people uh, connect with you and learn more about your work? You can head to maximus.com.au if you want to contact us, uh, just hit the contact us button there. Uh, or alternatively, look up Catherine Boychuk. I'm sure you'll tag my socials in the podcast. I'm on Twitter um, and on LinkedIn. So if you want to catch me in a work capacity, hook, you know, catch me on LinkedIn or on the Maximus website. If you want to see what NFTs I am exploring, then head to Twitter. I do. I do. I'll be in on that. <laughs> Hang on for one second. We'll have a quick debrief. And, uh, and thanks so much for coming on. Lovely. Thanks for having me, Mike. If you enjoyed this episode, make sure you hit the subscribe button in your podcast player or the link in today's episode notes. Why not share the podcast with your networks? After all, 62% of our subscribers come from word of mouth recommendations and social shares. You could also leave us a five-star review and some kind words in the iTunes store. If you love what we do each week and want to support the show, you should join our growing community of Patreon supporters or consider becoming a show sponsor. To learn more about all of that, just head to humansofpurpose.com. 
This episode is brought to you by Dragon Ball Legends, the mobile fighting game based on the Dragon Ball series. Featuring high-quality 3D graphics and authentic voice acting, the game follows Shallot, an original character, and his adventures with Goku and others. With intuitive controls and simple card-based gameplay, unleash combos and powerful team-based attacks. Battle players around the world in friendly matches, compete in the rankings, or team up in co-op. And now Dragon Ball Legends 5th Anniversary is on. Download Dragon Ball Legends today.